We're so glad that you're here with us today as we come together as a church family to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, we know that this world uh, has placed it on this day. Now, we know the Bible tells us very clearly that it wasn't on December 25th that he was born. Do we all know that, right? In the spring. But this is the time that the world takes a moment of pause to remember and to memorialize the birth of our Savior. So as a church community, we take advantage of this opportunity to share the greatest news that has ever been shared with the world, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To take this month, as we have here at Calvary, and dedicate it to the person of Jesus Christ, as we should each and every day of our lives. But this month, we did a countdown to Christmas. If I were to say to you, T minus one day and counting, you would say, Pastor, we're in a what? Countdown. Great response. I thought being later in the day, this is usually what I get on a Sunday morning. Is we're in the middle of a countdown to the greatest event, historical event that has ever taken place in our world, the birth of our Savior. One day away, I got to ask, Anybody still haven't finished their Christmas shopping? There's some hands up. Okay, good news for you. Walgreens is open till midnight, okay? So you'll be able to catch something there. If you need to download my wish list, it's still on my uh, Facebook page. You can still do so. As we've been counting down to Christmas, we took a look at what is known as the pre-existence of Christ. You see, Jesus didn't automatically exist that day that he was born there in Bethlehem, conceived in the miraculous manner in which he was as the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and as a virgin, she conceived a child. You see, the Bible clearly teaches us that Jesus existed prior to that. It's called, again, the pre-existence of Christ. And we saw that within the Old Testament, there were many times that God appeared to man that later in the New Testament tell us that those appearances back in the Old were none other than appearances of Jesus Christ, including one of the most famous ones, the burning bush in which Moses stood before. Jesus said it was him in John 8 who spoke those words, the great title for God, I am who I am. But some then believe, well, okay, if he wasn't uh, created and it wasn't became a, a person until that day he was born in Bethlehem, so okay, now he may be more than just a great teacher or a good person. If he existed before that, then he must have been created by God in the first days of creation found and recorded in the book of Genesis. Is that true? No. No. We discovered as we were counting down to Christmas, the pre-existent Christ went before and existed before the foundations of the world were laid. As we discovered often in the New Testament, it clearly tells us that Jesus was actively working before everything was created. And the only one who existed at that time before creation was God himself. And we established clearly that Jesus Christ was completely more than just a mere man or a teacher or a simple prophet. 
He was much more than a created angel that was created with the rest of the angels there at the beginning of creation. He was God himself, the second person of the Holy Trinity, God the Son. From the, before the foundations of the world, from eternity past, Jesus Christ existed. And then throughout the, New, the Old Testament, you had whispers and prophecies given concerning his arrival, the time in which he would come, the place in which he would be born, and the manner in which he would be born, as his, his birth announcement was found in Isaiah 7.14, when Isaiah wrote, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel." Hundreds of years before that day of his birth there in Bethlehem, Micah recorded for us in Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathi, who are little, too little among all the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from the ancient of days." This prophecy known at the time of Christ's birth is the prophecy that led these wise men to come and to worship him. And so here we are, T minus one day. We're we're closing in on that time now that we remember his birth. We celebrate his birthday. T minus one day. And here I'm going to say something that I think I've said so many times. Every single Christmas, I get up here and I say the same thing. That if you truly understand what has happened this day, there is no way you can remain the same person. If you truly, truly understand what has happened on this day, the day that we memorialize, the day we remember the birth of Jesus Christ, if we truly, truly understand who that child was and is today, there's no way we can remain the same person. Oh, you can believe it, or you can reject it, but you can't remain neutral towards it. You must acknowledge this fact that over 2,000 years later, we still celebrate this child's birth. If Christ has thoroughly been explained away by the wisdom of this world, then why is it that we continue to celebrate and to remember his birth? It's because the wisdom of this world is incapable of explaining away the truth of history. And this evening we come to remember that day, that morning that he was born. And I direct your attention to your Bibles. I hope you have it with you. And I'd ask you to turn there with me to John chapter 1. This is the chapter that we've been looking in from the beginning of our countdown till today that we have been working through. And I'd like to read with you the first 18 verses of John's gospel where we have a genealogy of Jesus given that isn't from his mother's perspective, isn't from his earthly father's perspective, but it's from his heavenly father's perspective. As we begin in chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not 
overcome it. And there was a man sent from God whose name is John. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He personally was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which is given, which gives to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the only uh, son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who is, comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from the fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, the only God who is in the Father's, at the Father's side, he has made him known. Each and every time an individual had an encounter with God, they never remained the same afterwards. They were always changed. The impact was so great that the person couldn't continue on in his normal manner of life without rejecting everything that he saw and experienced at that moment with God. But it is today that I bring your attention to John 1 verse 14. Listen to me as I read these words again about the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The realities of Christmas is this, that that child who lie in the manger that morning and surrounded by the simple shepherds and surrounded by his mother and father and the animals that were there in the barn itself, that individual was the embodiment of the glory of God, the grace of God, and the truth of God. And anyone who comes face to face with that cannot remain the same. You have to deal with it. You have to think objectively about it. You can't just dismiss it without coming to some conclusion about what you are seeing and experiencing for yourself. You can't just walk away. You must contend with it in your own mind and in your own heart. The first thing that John tells us here in verse 14 is that the word became flesh. The word became there in the Greek means that he took flesh upon himself. Deity, God himself, clothed with flesh, therefore making him 100% God and 100% man like you and I. And he didn't just appear as a man. God didn't just come and appear as a man, but he was born. He entered this, womb, uh, this world through the womb of his mother, Mary. And as he was born, it was the deity himself, God himself, clothed with the flesh of human 
therefore making him 100% God and 100% man. Paul wrote it like this in Philippians 2. He says, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is who that child is. That we remember and celebrate this time of the year each and every year. And not only did he become flesh, but he dwelt among us. And to the readers of John's gospel, that would have been significant. For the word used there, dwelt among us, would have reminded them of the exodus out of Egypt. And one specific point of the exodus, the point in which at the end of their day's journey, they would stop and where God would have them to rest, God would then have them erect what we call the tabernacle. It was a mobile church, if you will. It was a mobile temple, a place in which God met with Moses and sacrifices were offered unto God while they wandered in that wilderness. But something unique happened each and every time they resurrected that tabernacle. After establishing it there at their place of rest, God, after it was fully erected, God would then descend upon it in a a form of glory. And it was there that he met with Moses. That same word is used here that descending characteristic of God upon that place. Now John is saying the descending aspect of God is now upon the individual Christ himself. And he is with us. He is where we go. And God became flesh and dwelt among us so he may know us thoroughly. Not just in an intellectual manner, but experience all the things that we experience as human beings. Pain, suffering, joy, love, laughter. God now in his ultimate form, his ultimate revelation in the person of Jesus Christ is now able to identify with the weaknesses of man knowing that he himself has never sinned and is still perfect before God. But he understands our struggles He understands what we go through day by day. He understands our cares, our worries. He understands what we are experiencing. Not just in a distant manner, but in a manner in which He is close to us. In Exodus 40, Moses records for us, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter that tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That glory is now found in the person of Jesus Christ. Approachable. John says in his first epistle, it's not only that we saw him, but we touched him, we handled him, we heard him speak with his own voice. This was God.
There are three things that John tells us about his dwelling amongst them and becoming flesh. Glory, grace, and truth. Now, we have seen his glory, John says, the glory of the only Son from the Father. As believers, we should be very familiar and acquainted with glory because all glory is deserved only by God. We should never glorify ourselves before God. That would be improper to do so. But glory is something that Jesus carried with him as if it was completely natural for him to do so. He did because he was God. The glory is often reduced to the understanding in in the biblical sense of a shining light that was seen when God was present. But it also means his perfection, his excellence, his holiness. And when the Lord Jesus was here on this earth, he veiled his glory in a body of flesh. But in two ways, that glory was pronounced even through the flesh. See, there was no way you could miss the perfection of Christ if you were with him. For he was without sin. He was perfect. From the time of being born till the time he died, he was perfect before God. Not in any way was there sin found in him. The Bible makes that clear. And the only way that that could be possible is if he was truly God himself. The Bible says that you and I have all fallen short of the glory of God because of our sin. It's because our father was Adam who brought in sin through his disobedience, but Jesus was separate from that. For Adam was not his father, his heavenly father was his father. And he brought on the flesh of man through his mother Mary, who was not perfect herself. But the imperfection came through the seed of man. But he endured himself with the flesh of humanity through his mother. But even though that flesh veiled his glory, there were times that it was so apparent. There were times in his earthly perfection. There were times when the miracles were being rendered. There were times when he would say, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came forth from the grave. There were times when he was able to stand and resist the temptation of the devil there in the wilderness as he was tempted those days. We see the glory of God. We see the glory of God as he hung from the cross and miraculously was able to forgive those who persecuted him. And then on the third day, he rose again to validate the glory and to substantiate that he was exactly who he said he was. This is no mere infant lying in a manger. This is no mere good teacher or mere prophet or mere religious figure. This is something so vastly superior to that. And this glory that he was veiled by his humanity was exposed at one moment as he revealed himself to Peter, James, and John there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And you know what their reaction was when they saw the unveiled glory of Christ? Hey, Jesus, we don't want to leave this place. This is too awesome. I don't want to go back down there. 
Uh, that's the real world down there. I want to stay on top of this mountain. I want to stay with you. I want to stay here at this place. Because you know why? Anyone who truly encounters God can't remain the same. And when they saw him in that form, they could not believe their eyes and they wanted to keep that moment for all eternity. A moment that you and I will share who are in Christ, that for all eternity we will see Christ in his ultimate glory. But this glory was adorned with two other elements, grace and truth. As we've established his deity over the course of this month, now we find that in his birth, there was two things that God was shouting out to the world, grace and truth. Grace and truth. As one wrote, my, one of my favorite pastors, Warren Wordsby says, grace means God's resources available to Christians everywhere or God's riches at Christ's expense. When you come by faith to Christ, you have access into the grace of God. Tony Evans put it this way. He says, grace means that all uh, you are and all you have come because he chose to give it to you, not because you demanded it or personally deserve it. Mercy means that God does not give us what we do deserve, but grace means that he gives us what we do not deserve. You know, there's always the dilemma when we go Christmas shopping, isn't there? Especially if you're a parent. There are two categories that every item that you buy for your child can be placed within, one of the two categories. It's either something that they want or it's something that they need. And you know as a parent, because you were a child once, that even though you know very well how much they need it, they're never going to appreciate it as much as something that they want, right? I've never seen a kid open underwear and go ballistic other than to have a meltdown and then show it on YouTube. (laughs) I've never seen a kid praise the Lord for getting socks. Well, maybe some kids around the world who truly know and appreciate. We're all in that boat, right? You know, one year I wanted a guitar and that's all that I wanted. And my mom and dad said I could only get one big gift and it was going to be a great gift. And so that morning I assumed it was going to be that guitar, but it turned out to be a mattress. (laughs) We've all been there, okay? But during the course of the year, how often do we forget those gifts that we wanted and continue to rely on the gifts that we needed? Hey, the toys I got back then, uh, you know, maybe broken in the corner because I broke them after a month of having them, but the underwear is still going strong. (laughs) Jesus looked at us, God looked at us and said this to all of us. I'm giving you what you need more than you possibly could ever imagine. I know what you want, but I am giving you what you need. And he saw that the greatest need that you and I had was a method to come back to him to once again become the people that he desired and created us to be. You see, we were fallen and separated from God. And there was no way that we could save ourselves. There's no way possible. 
We could try to be as good as we possibly could, but our, perf- our, our mere uh, perfection would always be tainted by inconsistency and unfortunately, imperfection itself. We can never be good enough in and of ourselves. And God knew that as long as sin remained in our life, we would always be separated from him. So what was he to do? We were in a hopeless situation. And then God said, I'm going to show them the greatest gift. I'm going to give them the greatest gift that they could ever possibly need. And that is a manner in which to come back to me. And what I am going to do is I am going to carry that penalty of sin on myself. I'm going to pay for it. For the wages of sin is death. So God came in the person of Jesus Christ and he died for us that he may take the sin from our lives and give us new life in return to give us everlasting life only found in and through him. This is what we needed. It may not be what we want, but God has given us what we need and we need it more than we could possibly ever imagine. You see, sin is what has destroyed the world around us. Sin has brought us to the place that we find ourselves at today. Sin has devastated people's lives, destroyed people's lives. Sin is the number one cause of death here in the world. One out of one person dies because of sin. Whatever the catalyst may be that brings you to the point it was sin that brought you ultimately to that point of death. And God says, I'm going to make a way back for them. And I'm going to send my son into this world. And he's going to live a perfect life. And then he's going to die, not for himself, because he has done nothing wrong. And I'm going to place the sin of the world upon his shoulders at that moment that the skies went dark, the Bible said. And the earth quaked. And the earth cracked open. And God was judging the sin of the world at that moment. And then to demonstrate that he had ultimately accepted that sacrifice, he raised Jesus up on the third day. I don't know about you, but now as a Christian for 30 years, I see that God giving us Jesus Christ was the greatest act of grace ever displayed here on this earth. You know why? Because God owed us nothing. He could have left us in our sin and in our death, and he decided not to. In his grace and his mercy and his love, for we know that it is love that allowed God the Father to send his Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so on this Christmas, many may pass and move past the nativity and and just skirt past the understanding that we are celebrating Christ's birth because that's not what they want, but it's ultimately what they need. And it's what they need for eternal life. As one wrote, the incarnation, that is God coming in human form, was the greatest possible expression of God's grace to humanity. But it was also truth that he was adorned with. And this is huge for us today to understand. Whenever a ship would navigate the seas at nighttime, 
needing to get to point from point A to point B before satellite technology, before electricity was even invented and so forth. They used to have to navigate uh, using fixed points to allow them to navigate and to sail where they desired to sail to. Those fixed points were the constellations. And they used, you know, their devices and they looked up and they saw and they plotted the course according to the fixed points in which they needed to plot the course before them. See, I believe that truth is a fixed point in our life to allow us to navigate this world, to make the decisions that we need to make, and to allow us to get from point A to point B. Now, with the, as truth is being abolished, either because some say that uh, truth is no longer necessary, it is arbitrary, Uh, Truth no longer can be uh, determined or truth is then determined on a personal basis rather than a collective. For there are no absolute truths anymore. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And I asked them, are you sure? Oh, I'm sure there are no absolute truths. Are you absolutely sure? I'm absolutely sure. No, that doesn't make sense. So Jesus says, I am the truth. It's that fixed point that we as believers then can navigate this world upon. And through the truth of Christ, we create what is known as a worldview. And it is so important that all of us understand that each and every one of us has a worldview. As one wrote, he said, everyone has a worldview, whether they realize it or not. What, what is a worldview, he asks? Well, in the broadest sense, a worldview is a standard by which each individual consciously and unconsciously interprets all data as to maintain a consistent and coherent understanding of the whole of reality. A worldview acts like a filter in that it is screens and analysis uh, for us and categorizes all information so that we can make sense out of the world that is around us. It is the frame of reference from which we discern truth from falsehood and make rational decisions and formulate ethical and religious values. Worldviews are made up of certain presuppositions or assumptions that an individual believes to be true. One said it this way. A worldview is like the cover of a puzzle box. And that cover is the manner in which you then use as a template, a pattern, to take those thousand little tiny pieces out and try to make that picture on the cover. Personally, I would just throw the pieces out and use the cover. If that's your end goal anyway, just use that. But you understand what I'm saying. You have a puzzle given to you, a thousand pieces. You don't know what it's supposed to look like, but you have the cover of the box to show you what that each piece means in its individual and in its collective sense. That's what a worldview is. A worldview allows you to make sense of the world around you. (laughs) Isn't it interesting today that many can't make sense of the world that is around them anymore? Because we've abandoned this idea of absolute truth. In fact, one of the last questions that Jesus was asked before his crucifixion was by a man named Pontius Pilate as he stood there innocent before Pilate who was about to condemn him to death. Listen to these words. 
Then Pilate said to him, So, are you a king? And Jesus answered and said, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. See, Pilate didn't have that reference point, but the reference point that he needed was standing right before him. For Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And as we see this fixed point being eliminated in our society today, we find that many have lost that fixed point either by being told absolute truth does not exist or that truth isn't individually determined by each person and the fixed point then continues to move. Just last Thanksgiving with my family, I was talking at the table and we were talking about knowing truth from error. And they wanted to know, what can we believe? Who do we, who do we believe? How do we know we can believe? And, and I asked them a simple question. How do you determine what is true? And they couldn't answer the question. That fixed point of truth is Christ. And so the, the glory, the grace, the truth was established that day in the manger that God gave his ultimate revelation of himself to the world, as Jesus then could say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Turn with me to Luke 2, if you will. As we read these words together, and in the same region there were shepherds, verse 8, out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that you will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart, And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it has been told to them. And at the end of eight days when he was to be circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This Christmas, let us not forget Christ. 
Let us understand the impact that this child and man has had on the entire world. An individual that traveled no more than 100 miles from the place in which he was born. At the time he was born, of course, there were no, nothing like multimedia or the technology that we have today. But yet, the truth of his, of his uh, existence has permeated the annals of history for the last 2,000 years. As each and every attempt has been made to displace him or discredit him, those attempts fail one right after another. As believers in Jesus Christ, let us understand that we cannot remain the same after experiencing God in such a way. For his glory and his grace and his truth will not allow us to do so. So Paul said it this way, for you and I who are followers of Jesus Christ, he says, do all things uh, as to the glory of God, number one. We cannot live our lives for ourselves and say we have truly been changed by God. Our lives must reflect the glory that has been displayed by God. As H.A. Ironside wrote in his famous commentary, he said, Are you living to glorify God? Or are you living to enjoy yourself? Are you seeking your own desires? Or are you seeking to please the Lord Jesus Christ? As every saved person looks back to his old life, he can say, I lived for myself and for myself I was alone. For myself and none beside. Just as Jesus had never lived and is just as if I had never died. Number two, we must walk in that continual grace of God. To walk in grace means to live by grace. It means to depend on God's abundant supply to be able to fulfill every need in which we have. When we talk about walking in grace, it means God's unmerited favor told, towards us. He bestowed all of the love and acceptance on us because of who he is and what Jesus has done. Grace means that he likes us and all the reasons are in him for doing so. Grace means that we can stop working for his love and start receiving it as individuals in his grace. Paul said it this way, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On contrary, I work harder than all of them, though it was not I, but grace of God within me. And then it comes to truth. We must walk in truth as individuals if we've truly experienced the Savior. I'm not talking about just simply believing in Jesus academically. I'm talking about believing him in such a manner that it radically changes your life. I I can't live the same way now knowing what I know about Christ. I can't live for myself any longer. I must live for him because he was the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one God who sent on my behalf. I don't care how young you are or how old you are. We all need Jesus Christ. He is the only mediation between God and man. There is no other way to God except through him. And John wrote, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. And what does it mean to walk in truth? It means this. It means that we walk consistent to the truth that you believe. If you believe you are a fallen individual, then walk as you are fallen. 
But if you believe that you are truly a child of God, then walk like a child of heaven. If you believe you are forgiven, then walk as a person who is truly forgiven in him. To walk in the truth means to walk in a way that is real and genuine without phoniness or concealment or hypocrisy. That's what Christmas is all about. This is what we've been counting down to. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we behold his glory as the glory of the only son of God, full of grace and truth. We can't remain the same. We can't remain the same. 